You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good afternoon. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live and another in our series on the 117th Congress. President Biden is in Brussels for an emergency NATO summit on Russia's invasion of Ukraine as Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky continues to make the case one capital at a time that the existential threat to his nation's sovereignty is a proxy for democracy's battle with autocracy. As a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Senator Chris Murphy has met with President Zelensky several times, most recently during a trip to Kiev in January, and he's the perfect person to talk to right now about the war and the West's response. You see him there, Senator Murphy. Welcome back to Washington Post Live. Thanks for having me. So, Senator, a bunch of news. Uh, Well, the president just spoke in Brussels and he made several comments. One was um, about booting Russia from the G20 uh, if he could get agreement among the G20 to do that. Is that the right thing to do? I think in general, Russia can't remain as a member of the world community in good standing. Uh, of course, that's difficult to achieve in the G20, where you still have a, a number of nations there that um, have uh, continued good relations, economic relations, security relations with Russia. Um, but there have to be broader consequences to Vladimir Putin as he changes strategy in Ukraine. He has given up on the idea that he could take Kyiv uh, or Kharkiv or Lviv by traditional military um, ground invasion. He is now going to target civilians as a mechanism of terrorism to try to drive Zelensky to the negotiating table. Uh, Biden will have his work cut out to convince um, the plurality or all of the G20 to kick the Russians out. But I think even Putin's friends are going to have a hard time sticking with him as the civilian death count continues to climb upwards. Now, earlier today, NATO announced that four new b- battle groups will be heading to Bulgaria, Hungary, Romania, and Slovakia. Talk about the military significance of sending them to those countries. And six months ago, I mean, if you'd asked me whether it was a possibility that Vladimir Putin would invade Ukraine, you know, I, I, I would have told you, you know, all of the reasons why that was a strategic and would be a strategic disaster and that Putin would never take that step. We now know that Putin is capable of the unthinkable, that Putin is capable of taking steps that have no good end game for him, but fulfill some sort of internal strategic logic that he's concocted. Um, I just don't think we can rule out that he is going to move troops into a NATO country. I don't think we can rule out that he might um, use missile strikes against a NATO ally. And this has to be the moment where we beef up our capabilities on the eastern flank of NATO. That's going to be expensive, but we have a sacred obligation to defend NATO, like NATO defended us when we were attacked on September 11th. So uh, I think this is a moment of of great uncertainty. We do not know what Putin's going to do next. We can't believe that he is a rational actor, and thus we've got to be ready for what we thought was unimaginable, a Russian attack on NATO soil. Well, let's keep talking about um, the unpredictability of of Vladimir Putin, the White House has put together a tiger team and a strategy group to plan against the possible use of chemical weapons by Putin. How concerned are you that he would unleash that kind of hell on the Ukrainian people? Well, I think we need to be very worried about it, um, given the 
corner that Putin is in today. He has come to the conclusion, as I mentioned, that he is not going to be able to have ground success. And instead, he is going to use terrorism in order to try to force Zelensky to make territorial and demilitarization concessions. Right now, that terrorism largely takes the form of missiles and bombs targeting civilians and civilian buildings. But um, there's no question that there's a possibility Putin could move to weapons of mass destruction, including chemical weapons. I know everybody wants Biden to you know, declare today, right now, exactly what he would do in the case of a chemical attack. I think he was right today to say that there would be a U.S. response, but of course that response would be proportional to the tactics that Putin uses. So I think it's important for Biden to make clear there's going to be a response. We're not going to sit by if Putin uses chemical weapons, but we don't necessarily need to telegraph our exact response today. It it seems as though, and you've been talking about this uh, during this interview, that Putin is trying to bomb Zelensky to the negotiating table. President Zelensky has been calling for talks with Putin to no avail. I'm wondering from you, if a deal were to be had, what would an acceptable deal be for Zelensky and the West that would be accepted by Putin, do you think? Yeah, that's an impossible question for somebody like me to answer. Frankly, I don't think it's appropriate for me to be, you know, dictating the terms of an acceptable settlement to uh, Zelensky. He's going to have to decide for himself. Um, I mean, listen, there are clearly some things that, you know, can be on the table. Um, Obviously, NATO was not ready to accept Ukraine. And so I'm sure discussions about formal neutrality um, it could be part of those discussions. Um, there's long been conversations about the kind of um, devolution of power in the eastern regions um, that um, might satisfy some Russian concerns. Um, territorial integrity, um, the granting of Crimea or a land bridge to Crimea to Russia, obviously, is a much more bitter pill to swallow. But you know what's interesting is that time is not on the Russian side here. I mean, historically, time has always been on the Russians' side, right? The Russians let Napoleon march into Moscow, and they ultimately knew that it was Napoleon's supply lines that would ultimately um, lead to Russian victory. Here, the longer this war goes on, the weaker the Russians will get, the less able they will be to perpetuate this war. I don't know how long Ukraine can hold out, but um, boy, their hand at the negotiating table is probably going to get stronger, not weaker. Mm-hmm. You, you've said the United States will stand with Ukraine and President Zelensky, President Biden ha- has said the same. But what is the balance between supporting Ukraine and not having a wider war in Europe that might draw in the United States as well as the rest of NATO? Well, I think Biden's been pretty clear about that, which is that you know we are not going to take steps that would lead to a direct military confrontation between the United States and Russia. But we are also... Um, going to, um, you know, operate from a position of strength, which is why we are sending significant new assets into NATO to make sure that Putin has no confusion as to what will happen if he moves beyond Ukraine's borders. I I mean, I do think we have to be honest about the unprecedented nature of the U.S. engagement in this fight. At no time during the Cold War did the United States overtly supply 
an opposition force that was fighting the Russian army, you know, not in Czechoslovakia, not in Hungary, not even in Afghanistan, where we were providing relatively meager amounts of support compared to what we're sending to Ukraine now, and we were doing it secretly. Uh, so we've never been closer to conflict with Russia than we are today, which is why you know, President Biden is being careful to continue to support Ukraine without letting this spill into a wider war. You ask, how can we stop that from happening? It's difficult when you're dealing with an international actor. We don't know what might cause Putin to decide to fire a missile into Poland. Um, uh, and so, you know, gaming that out, I know a lot of people are working on it, but it's, it's difficult and imperfect. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about President Zelensky, since you, you have met him five times, uh, I, I, I believe, including in, in Kiev just several weeks before the, the Russian invasion in late February. Well, three quick, how is he holding up? What's the source of his strength? And are you surprised by um, how he's been able to lead a, lead a country that has been invaded while at the same time galvanizing global support for, for himself, but also for the Ukrainian people? Did you see that in him? I'd be lying if, if I told you I wasn't a little bit surprised. Uh, not that I didn't hold Zelensky in high regard, as you mentioned. I've spent you know, more time with him probably than any other member of the Senate, and I've been with him during some very tough times. Uh, and I was meeting with him in the middle of the impeachment scandal. Our meetings actually became part of the impeachment record. Um, I, but I just have been blown away by you know, his ability to lead the nation, to shame the world, to step up and help Ukraine, and you know, this unique ability he has to you know, use media and use his really significant improvisational talents um, to make people feel you know, that there's a sense of, of urgency and authenticity um, uh, coming from the president's office. How is he doing? I mean, man, I can't imagine well, um, given what Putin is doing. I mean, Putin has essentially decided to slaughter as many Ukrainians as possible, um, and force Zelensky to decide whether he is willing to hold out and let more innocent civilians die or um, come to the negotiating table. I can't imagine being faced with that choice, but Zelensky is a hero for our times, no doubt. Uh, President Biden heads to Poland tomorrow, which has been critical in helping Ukrainian refugees and also uh, has experienced a history of Russian aggression. What message should the president take to the Polish people? Well, as a, I've got this very Irish last name, but I actually have more Polish blood uh, in me than I have Irish blood. So as a very proud Polish uh, American, I'm so glad that the president's gonna be in Poland and say thank you. I mean, that should be his primary message is thank you to the Polish people for uh, welcoming Ukrainian refugees, for being you know, so um, forward thinking uh, in challenging NATO to be ready for a moment like this um, at many times when NATO and Europe has not been willing to take the Russian threat seriously. It's been the Polish government that has reminded them of Putin's true intentions, which is to put back together the uh, USSR and the Warsaw Pact. Um, you know, listen, we still you know, have issues with the Polish government, but you know, right now, Biden's message is one of sincere thanks for what they have done in the short term and the long run. And then the follow-up to that is what message do they, what message do the, the Polish people want to hear from the president of the United States? Is thank you enough? Yeah, it's not enough. You're right. I mean, the second message is the one we talked about earlier, which is that um, our commitment to NATO is total 
an absolute. Um, if Putin um, lays one finger on a NATO country, the United States is going to respond, and Putin needs to know that, and the Polish people need to know that. Remember, there's only one time in the history of NATO that Article 5 has been um, exercised. That's the part of the NATO charter that says when one country is attacked, everyone rises to defend that nation. That was after September 11th. The Polish people sent troops to Afghanistan to defend the United States. And so we want to make clear that we will do the same if uh, Poland or any other NATO allies attacked. President Biden, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, you, all of you and others have called Vladimir Putin a war criminal. Is there any geopolitical significance to calling him a war criminal? I just think that you have to have um, complete moral clarity when met with a moment like this in which uh, tactics of terror are being used to deliberately target civilians. Um, you know, people ask, you know, does that ultimately help or hurt negotiations with Russia? Um, I just don't know that you can sugarcoat what he is doing. Um, and ultimately, you know, we're responsible not just for the management of this crisis, but for the broad scope of history and the lessons learned from this crisis. Um, and if we didn't call out Vladimir Putin for who he is, we didn't call out what he's doing as crimes against humanity, then it, you know, is an invitation for future madmen to take similar steps. Um, so the world is watching, but also future generations are going to watch what we did and said during this moment. So then those folks who are saying um, that co publicly calling Putin a war criminal is painting him into a corner that will, would ultimately lead him to lash out against the West or not even care what the West thinks. Are, are those, do those people have a legitimate beef in that or not? I don't think they do. I mean, this notion that Putin is making his decisions based upon what the West says or thinks of him is belied by daily reality. Uh, Putin is making decisions based upon his um, conception of his legacy uh, and his ability to hold on to power. And I don't think we're going to be able to frustrate his grandiose ambitions for his legacy, which is the reconstruction of the Soviet Union, but we absolutely um, can compromise his hold on power. And that may take a little while. Um, for our sanctions and our political efforts to take effect. But I, I just don't think you can read anything about what Putin has done in the last several weeks and think to yourself, if the West is just a little bit nicer and kinder to him, he'll stop. No, that's not how Putin thinks. Right. Um, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on this. I mean, the West thought Putin led one of the world's most powerful militaries. So what do you make of the fact that uh, make of Russia's inability to achieve its goal of a quick conquering of Ukraine? You know, I, I think it's it involves a constant underestimation amongst think tanks and military planners about the impact of psychology on warfare. I mean, we thought the United States was going to be able to come in, uh, invade Iraq and Afghanistan, and within weeks or months, uh, be able to control and pacify the country. 
We had no concept of the psychology in those nations, which ultimately led to a long-term resistance based upon the territorial defense of people's homes. The same is happening in Ukraine today, and it is just another sobering reminder of how difficult it is for foreign powers to move their armies into lands they don't truly understand amidst hostile uh, uh, intent from local citizenry. Um, I, I also you know, think that we just didn't understand the nature of Russian corruption and how insidious it is and was. This is a very corrupt military. Um, and uh, ultimately, the guy who was actually modernizing the Russian military lost his job because Putin wanted a yes man in the position instead. And once that happened, some of the gains we saw after the invasion of Georgia in 2008 were lost. So a, 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 an underestimation of Russian corruption in the military and a general misunderstanding of how important psychology plays into warfare. Let me, we, we've got uh, about three minutes left. I want to get your your thoughts on um, switching gears to, to Iran. Um, you've support, voice support for um, the Biden administration's efforts to get another nuclear deal with Iran um, sealed. Um, you've suggested we try to we try to seal that deal without Russia, which is part of the negotiating team. Is that even possible, given what's happening now with Ukraine? I mean, listen, I want a deal done with or without Russia because I've been in intel briefings um, that are absolutely bone chilling. One, because Iran is weeks away from having enough nuclear material to make a weapon. And two, there is no other available path to stop Iran from getting a nuclear weapon besides diplomacy. And I still haven't heard any of the critics of a potential uh, restart of the Iran nuclear deal suggests otherwise. Um, but Russia doesn't necessarily have to be part of this negotiation. We wanted them as part of the negotiation because they took some of the nuclear material out of uh, Iran and we wanted the blessing of the UN. We don't necessarily need the UN to bless this deal. And there are other countries that could take the spent nuclear material uh, besides Russia. So I know the administration is looking at different options with Russia in, with Russia out, but the bottom line is no deal cannot be an option because no deal is Iran on the brink of having a nuclear weapon and a nuclear arms race being set off in the Middle East. Given everything that we're dealing with in Ukraine right now, why on earth would we want that problem too? Uh, you're pithy in your answer, so I'm going to squeeze in one more uh, before we do have to go. As you know, well know, massive humanitarian crisis happening in Ukraine. More than 10 million people internally displaced. 3.4 million of them have left Ukraine completely. The United States announced it's going to take in 100,000 refugees. Is, is the United States doing enough? Is that enough? Let's take more. 100,000 is a good start. Uh, but you know, this is a hinge moment in world history. Uh, as I mentioned before, we'll be judged as to whether we were big enough, smart enough, strong enough, and generous enough to meet this moment. And that doesn't just mean transferring weapons into Ukraine. That means you know, thinking about this moment like we did the Vietnam War, when we accepted hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese into the United States, uh, Vietnamese that made the United States a better, stronger place. Um, let's, let's open our doors. I'm glad the president has made this big early commitment to take in 100,000 Ukrainians, but uh, our country is big enough um, to be able to do more. 
Senator Chris Murphy of the great state of Connecticut, member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Thank you for coming back to Washington Post Live. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.